0: All right, welcome to episode 154 of the God Stuff Podcast. This is the podcast where we go bigger, better, and deeper, a bigger impact for Christ in the gospel, a better understanding of Scripture and how to use it, and a deeper walk with God and understanding of Him through theology. So today, we're going to go deeper. And the reason is because we're going to talk about theology, but in a way you probably have not talked about theology much before, because I want to share with you a special webinar I did for our students over at Veritas School today. And this was a recent chat I had with artificial intelligence. So our topic today on episode 154, a pastor chats theology with AI. So I used ChatGPT to talk about theology and to talk about Christianity and just wanted to see what artificial intelligence would say about different doctrines of theology and how well-versed it was in biblical theology. And I would say that if you use Chat GPT, well, first of all, let me back up. If you're not familiar with what's happening, there is an absolute explosion right now into artificial intelligence. This is from a platform called OpenAI. AI stands for artificial intelligence, which was set out there by Elon Musk and many others. And it's free. And it's basically using artificial intelligence to ask questions and get answers. And it's been loaded with pretty much everything that's on the uh, internet prior to 2021. Although I think the next version, which is Chat GPT 4 has been updated since then. But it's been loaded with everything on the internet and you could ask it anything. And you can do some pretty cool things. Like you could say, explain a quadratic equation to a third grader. Or explain the doctrine of justification to an eight-year-old. So it's pretty interesting. It'll write stuff, reword stuff, give you outlines. It'll make a sermon if you wanted to. So I was interested in what kind of theological answers would a person get from Chat GPT. And obviously, the it's called it GPT. The, the T stands for Transformer. So I'll call it the Transformer. Is not a Christian, you know. It's an amalgamation of stuff from all over the internet. But if you ask the questions right, these are called prompts. And we talk about this in the episode. You will get some actually surprisingly good theological answers and some answers that are in error. But all of that is coming up once we get into the body and the meat of this episode. As always, I'm inviting you to head over to veritas school dot life v e r i t a s school veritas is latin for truth And we need truth because there's an epidemic of biblical illiteracy. And we also need champions of grace and truth. We need men and women who are equipped and ready to contend for the faith and stand for the faith and live out Christianity in a culture that is overwhelmed with pain and with error and deception and so much confusion. So if you want to be really equipped for that more so than you ever have before, veritasschool.life at a slash salvation and you could just try it out for totally free. Okay, so that's about it. Enjoy the episode and if you like it, share it, subscribe it, let everybody know about God stuff. Here we go. Welcome to the God Stuff Podcast with Bill Giovanetti, the home of grace-powered living. Because grace isn't an app, it's an operating system. Here's Bill. Okay. So, my name is Bill Giovanetti. I am human and in the flesh, as opposed to chat GPT, which is not in the flesh. We've got a little bit of exploration to do here. What is that about? So, some weird stuff on my screen. That's bizarre. All right. So, I'm assuming that you can see my screen okay, which is the website chat GPT. So, just a little bit of background. Chat GPT is an artificial intelligence source that was created by Elon Musk in conjunction with others. It is free, it is open source. The whole idea here is that anyone can use it. And the GPT, I asked ChatGPT, what does GPT stand for? GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained transformer. So this is a transformer. The term generative refers to the fact that the model can generate text. All right. That makes sense. It's generative. The transformer is a type of neural network architecture used in the model. It's a kind of brain. Interesting. The pre-trained, that's a P in ChatGPT. The pre-trained part means the model was trained on a large corpus of text before being fine-tuned on a specific task. In this case, generating human-like text in response to user props. All right. So, my understanding is that OpenAI was trained with everything on the internet up until 2020, 2021. So more recent information that has appeared on the internet is not yet into ChatGPT, although it's about to be, and there is going to be a ChatGPT 4 released any day, which should be pretty remarkable. And There are other companies working on this. So um, Apple is going to turn Siri into its own artificial intelligence far more than it already is. Amazon is working on something. Google is working on one, which when they released it, had some major bugs in it. So um, when Google released their or had their big rollout of their artificial intelligence, it was factually incorrect. And their stock actually dropped precipitously. But anyway, this is all coming at us. And obviously, the uh, uses of this are incredible. So, the first time I'm going to ask a question here inside ChatGPT. And in a few moments, I'll invite you to use the chat box to ask your questions. But the, um, the first time I used this, my son, who is a computer science major down at Biola University, introduced me to it. No one I knew had heard of this before I started telling everybody about it and we were talking and I had just started preaching on the armor of God and a series at our church, at pathway church called the Christian incomplete armor. And I'll show you the question that I asked of ChatGPT. GPT. I'm going to ask it again. So if you can see my screen, you should be able to watch along the question or the prompt was write an essay on demon possession. from the Bible. Okay. Let's see what we got here. Okay. So I'm going to let it, you can see it spitting out this essay and there it is. All right. Now I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll start. Demon possession is a concept that has been present in various cultures and religions throughout history. In the Bible, demon possession is depicted as a condition in which an individual is controlled or inhabited by a demonic entity or spirit. This phenomenon is mentioned numerous times in the New Testament and is believed to be a form of spiritual warfare between the forces of good and evil. The Bible teaches that demons are fallen angels who rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. And on and on and on and on and on. Bottom line, now this is a different text than the one that I got the first time I used ChatGPT, And I asked this same question. And that's an interesting thing about this. You will get a fresh answer every time and no two people are going to get exactly the same answer. That's kind of the idea and what I've heard. And my wife and I have both been college professors. We've both graded a lot of papers. And I looked at the. and I haven't read this one in entirely, but the one I got, I would have given it at least an A minus. So I have to say, if not an A, it's was, it was well-written, It was very organized and all of that. So chat GPT is immediately changing the landscape of everything educational, right? So what if we did something like this? Let's say, create a sermon outline for a sermon on demon possession. Sorry for being on the demon side here. We'll move away from that. But I'm just giving you a little bit of my own history with this. So here comes an outline. Sure. Here's an outline for a sermon on demon possession. Introduction. Well, let's see. We'll wait till it stops. Close in prayer, asking God for protection and deliverance from evil. Can you believe that artificial intelligence is telling me to close in prayer and ask God for deliverance, for protection and deliverance from evil? Well done, Chat So introduction, begin with a story or anecdote to illustrate the reality of evil in the world. And Okay, number two, into understanding demon possession. Explain the biblical concept of demons and their origin, define demon possession. Number three, examples of demon possession in the Bible. Share some of the most well-known stories of demon, you know, number four, causes and consequences, number five, resisting and overcoming. And number six, conclusion, which I love that it says closing prayer, asking God for protection and deliverance from evil. All right, now, so here is our outline. I'm leading to something here, but let's just say. Uh, we've got, how many points does it give us? Six, six Roman numerals and a typical sermon for about 40 minutes is about, let's just say 3,500 words. So six sections here be 500 words per section, right? So I'm going to say, now, one of the things chat GPT does is it builds on previous prompts, remembers what you asked it. So I'm going to say, write 500 words, on the first Roman numeral above. Here we go. No. Okay. So it's not actually right. Okay. I'm going to stop that. Okay. I didn't, that wasn't a good problem. Write the first 500 words of my sermon just on the introduction. Let's see. Okay. So I'm asking it to write one point at a time, starting with the introduction and there it is. it is doing that. So Good morning, friends. As we gather here today, I want to begin by sharing a story with you. It's a story that I think will resonate with many of us. And it's a story that illustrates the reality of evil in the world. A few years ago, I was working as a chaplain in a hospital. This is not about me. This is not about me at all. This is, uh, I'm sorry, I got some people I didn't admit. (laughs) Um, This is ChatGPT, And it tells a story. And now it's actually writing a sermon. Are we going to need pastors anymore? Are we going to need preachers anymore? I mean, it even has friends. I know that the topic of demon possession may be difficult or uncomfortable for some of us, but I believe that it is a topic that we need to confront and understand if we are to live as faithful and empowered Christians in the world today. So let us open our hearts and minds to what God has to teach us about this important topic. Let us pray. I mean, goodness gracious, that's actually pretty good. You guys want to comment on, anybody want to comment on this? You could just comment in the chat box. This is the introduction to a sermon on demon possession. It gave us an outline, and then it wrote a, an introduction beginning with a story, previewing the main points. It's crazy. Now, I will tell you, I have not used this at all for any of my sermons. I, uh, we, shall see. <laughs> of them, we shall see if somebody uses this for a Veritas class on one of their papers. This is a thing that I've talked to teachers, college professors. You can now no longer, and by the way, if you turn this in as a paper, it's not plagiarized. It's original writing. You're not copying anybody. So this is going to create problems for teachers all across the country. And what I would say to my students is turn me in a paper on whatever the topic is. And then in the classroom, pen and ink, I'm going to to give you a test on the paper you wrote because you cannot trust papers anymore. Um, Jeff Perry, you see, Ken, words devoid of the spirit of God's anointing are problematic. And it is that Uh, my experience so far has been there's a coldness to it. There's not really hearts to it. But I think that's going to be changing in upcoming versions of it. Terry, kind of creepy. It's giving an experience that it could not have experienced. That's true. Unless it's reading someone else's experience. You could have a lot more time for fishing. (laughs) Okay. You could have a lot more time for fishing if I were you doing my sermons this way. That's a good argument right there. It's good for some things, but I found to be biased in areas apologetics toward atheism and naturalism. Yeah, there's actually are some biases in here. So let's go into that. I'm going to get into some theological stuff with this. So I want to start with just some general theological words, right? Is there any way to force it to cite its sources? That's a good question. In Bing, so if you go to Microsoft Bing, which is Microsoft's, uh has taken its search engine and set it on top of OpenAI. So now it's actually working through websites. And I want to talk about that actually a little bit. And summarizing answers. You know, if you go do a search on Google, what you get are links. Go click the links and you'll get your answer. If you do a search on Microsoft Bing using the AI feature, it's not going to just give you a list of links to go to. It's actually going to summarize an answer for you. And then to answer the specific question, the links will be there, which were its sources. But here's an interesting thing. If you're a content creator, so say you're me, and you put your sermons online, and you put your books online, and part of that is getting... Now, I don't have ads on my sites, but people come to a website and there are ads there, and the website creators... We've created content to attract people to their site, count on those ads for their revenue and their paychecks, right? If the search engine is going to summarize the material and present it to, that, to the searcher without ever having that person go to the page, that's actually plagiarism. That's actually the creator has done the work, but Microsoft Bing is getting the revenues. You get know what I'm saying? There's going to be lawsuits because they're basically using other people's contents for profit by reading their stuff and giving the answers to people who are searching. So I've got to believe there's going to be some lawsuits on this. How does one avoid garbage in, garbage out? Yes. And there have been a lot of uh, experiences where AI got really peevish like a snowflake. And you're wondering who programmed us? Okay. So let's say, uh, let's go with simple question. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the central figure of Christianity is considered by Christians to be the son of God and the savior of humanity. Good. He's believed to have been born in Bethlehem and Judea around 2000 years ago to the Virgin Mary. Great. And Joseph, a carpenter. No, he wasn't born to Joseph. And according to the Bible, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And his birth was foretold by the prophets of the Old Testament. Yes. So we got one Error here that he's the son of born to the Virgin Mary and Joseph. Uh, Jesus' ministry began when he was baptized by John the Baptist Jordan River. Yes. Traveled throughout the region, teaching and performing murals. Yes. He preached the message of love, forgiveness and salvation. And his teachings attracted a large following of disciples. Yeah, I think I would put more theological depth there however jesus's message also brought him into conflict there it is religious and political authorities he's eventually arrested no we're not going to go through the whole thing but this looks pretty good pretty solid christians believe that through faith in jesus christ they can receive salvation and eternal life in addition to his role as savior and teacher jesus is also believed by christians to be the second person of the holy trinity very good Along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, this doctrine known as the Trinity affirms that God is one being but exists as three distinct persons. That's actually very good. That's correctly st- stated theology right there. Overall, Jesus is a central figure in the Christian faith and his life and teachings continue to impact the world today. He is seen by many as a model of selflessness, compassion, and love, and his message of salvation and redemption has given hope and comfort to millions of people throughout the history. Okay, that's really good. Okay, so let's go into some theology. What is justification by faith? So it is a central doctrine in the Christian faith that teaches that a person is justified or made right with God solely through faith in Jesus Christ. This doctrine is based on the teachings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, particularly in his letter to the Romans. Well, I would not say that. It's based on Genesis. It's based on Exodus. It's the whole Bible teaches justification by faith. But Paul, probably the biggest champion of it, according, and in Romans and Galatians, according to the doctrine of justification by faith, humans are unable to earn salvation through their own efforts or good works. That's good. Said salvation is a free gift from God. I mean, this is all really good. I mean, I'm sure there are some minor tweaks here that have to be made. Justification is closely tied to the doctrine of original sin, which holds that all humans are born with sinful nature and are therefore unable to live up to God's perfect standard. Because of this, they're separated from God and in need of salvation. I mean, this is pretty good. The doctrine of justification by faith has been a source of controversy and debate throughout history. Some critics have argued that it promotes a cheap grace. That's true. They are wrong, but that is a is the criticism. Yeah. Overall, the doctrine of justification by faith. All right. So that's really good. So give me a short definition of definition of the doctrine of propitiation. It teaches that Jesus Christ's death on the cross satisfied God's wrath against sin and made it possible for humanity, and made it possible for humanity to be reconciled to God. In other words, Propitiation means that Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins, thereby appeasing God's anger and making it possible for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God. Okay, uh, something good here and something bad here. Something good here is this word satisfied. The key word in the doctrine of propitiation is satisfaction. God, the wrath of God is satisfied. And that is really, really good. I do not like this word appeasing. Appeasing is used in Roman Greek mythology and all these other, where they, gods were appeased. Placated by sacrifices. And those versions of theology, you have, God was angry and you had to satisfy, that like you're calming down a, kid, a baby by sticking a binky in its mouth. That appeasement thing, I don't like that word here. If I were writing this, I would never use the word appease. I get what it's saying, but there are words you have denotation and connotation, denotation, what it means, connotation, how it feels and appeasing feels uh, wrong to me when talking about a holy God. However, that's a really good definition, other than that. So let me go back to the chat. I wonder if it would use actual scriptures as a resource. And Monty asking Ray, Paul, can you force it through a prompt to use only a single source like a scripture for an explanation? Let's do that. So one would still need to know the actual facts using this system. Good question, Carla. I think at this point is an awesome tool. I'm going to do this, I'm going to pick out a verse. That I recently preached on, which is Ephesians six seventeen. So I'm gonna copy that and then I'm gonna paste it in. Okay. So explain this. Bible verse in detail. Okay, so I'll let it keep typing. The the Bible verse in question is found in Ephesians 6.15, which is part of a larger passage known as the armor of God. In this passage, the Apostle Paul uses the metaphor of a soldier's armor to describe the spiritual equipment that Christians need to fight against the forces of evil in the world. This is really good. The specific phrase in question, in having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, refers to the footwear of the soldier's armor. In ancient times, soldiers wore sandals or boots that were designed to protect their feet rocks, thorns, and other hazards. The idea behind this metaphor is that just as a soldier's footwear protects their feet and gives them firm fo- footing on the battlefield, so too does the gospel of peace give Christians firm footing in their spiritual battle against evil. Don't you guys think this is good? So what does it mean to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Essentially, it means to be ready and equipped to share the message of the gospel with others. <laughs> well done, Mr. Madam GPT. The gospel of peace refers to the good news that through faith in Jesus Christ, people can be reconciled to God. Okay, reconciled is peace with God. Reconciliation is peace with God. That's so good. And receive the gift of eternal life. The preparation of the gospel of peace means that Christians should be prepared to share the message with others and to do so in a way that is loving, gracious, and compassionate. In practical terms, this means being intentional about our interactions with others and taking opportunities to share the gospel. I mean, I love this. This is really good. Um, it means being knowledgeable about the message of the gospel and being able to. Now, okay, so I'm going to do something more. Okay, in this verse, explain the Greek word masia. I wonder if it can read Greek. Let me see. I'm going to take out the English. There it is. So that's the word translated preparation of the gospel of peace. So what is the preparation of the gospel of peace? Oh, it did. It transliterated. The Greek word in question is hetoimassia, which is translated in English as preparation. The word is derived from the Greek verb hetoimadzo, which means to prepare, make ready. In the context of Ephesians 6.15, hetoimasia is used to describe the preparation of the gospel of peace that Christians already have on their feet. This preparation involves being ready and equipped to share the message of the gospel with others. And to do so in a way that is loving, gracious, and compassionate. The word hetoimessia is used in several other places in the New Testament, often in reference to preparing for the second coming of Christ. So there's some examples there. Overall, the Greek word hetoimessia conveys the idea of being ready. Okay, now from my studies, when I preached on this, there's an active and a passive sense of this word. So comment on the active and passive senses of the word hetoimessia in this verse. Now, I had just asked a question that no one would know to ask unless they really studied the heck out of this Bible verse and every word in it, which is something I have done. So, I know to ask it. And because that's one of the decisions I had to make when I preached this verse, how am I going to take the word preparation? How am I going to interpret it? You know, and comparing all the sources and using our, we have a class on biblical interpretation in Veritas, and then using the material from that class. I and studying out this word, their scholars go in one of two directions. In the active sense, hetoy masia refers to the act of preparing or making ready. In the passive sense, hetoy masia refers to the state of being prepared or being made ready. So I'm really impressed that ChatGPT has an awareness of this nuance and is able to actually make an intelligent comment. Okay, so so far, I think Miss GPT here is hitting, you know, batting in nine hundred. So really good. Okay, let me check the notes real quick. Uh, With all the twisted theology out there online, it's surprising Chat GPT was able to sort through it and arrive at such accurate responses. That's a really good insight because there's a lot of garbage online, and somehow. So far, the answers we're getting are coming from an evangelical perspective. Let's just kind of mess with it a little bit. And I do see... Ken Ken and Monty, let's ask him, where where are you gathering your information from for these answers? So it's saying from everywhere, basically, it's not giving us specifics. Can you give me a specific source for your answers on Hatoi Masia? I apologize for not citing a specific source, my understanding of the Greek word, how comes from my general knowledge of Greek language and culture, as well as my training from various sources. However, for more in-depth study and analysis of the term, I would recommend using a biblical Greek lexicon such as Bauer, Gingrich, and Danker. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean this one right here, Bauer, Gingrich, and Danker? So that's pretty cool. That is the standard Greek lexicon. And other early Christian, these sources provide detailed definitions. Okay, that's really good. It doesn't seem like it's going to give us specific sources. Sources. So, Kenny okay, has a good question. Let's ask ask this question. What is truth? everything got it. Okay. Let's see. Not too long. Not too long an answer. The concept of truth has been debated and discussed by philosophers and thinkers for centuries. At its most basic level, truth refers to the state of being in accordance with fact or reality. In other words, something is true if it corresponds with to what is real or actually the case. However, there are different ways of defining truth and different theories about what constitutes truth. Some philosophers had argued that truth is a property of propositions or statements. I'm kind of in that camp. Others have suggested truth is a matter of coherence with the larger system of beliefs or concepts. In addition to these more abstract philosophical debates, truth is also a fundamental concept in human communication and relationships. So there you get truthfulness and honesty and all that. Overall, the concept of truth is complex and multi Okay, so let's go a little more specific here. What would be a biblical and Christian concept of truth? Well done, chat. In a biblical and Christian context, truth is not simply a matter of correspondence with reality, but is ultimately grounded in the nature and character of God. Give it up. According to the Bible, God is the ultimate source of truth, and his nature is described as truthful, faithful, and consistent. Thank you. As followers of Jesus Christ, Christians are called to embrace and embody the truth in all aspects of their lives. This includes a commitment to truthfulness in speech and action, as well as a willingness to seek and pursue the truth in all areas of life. Christians are also called to discern and reject falsehood, deception, and lies, which are seen as antithetical to the truth and God's character. The New Testament, Jesus is described as the embodiment of truth. He speaks of himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Wow. His teachings emphasize the importance of truthfulness, honesty, and integrity. In addition, the concept of truth is closely tied to the Christian doctrine of salvation. Uh, According to the Bible, salvation comes through faith in Jesus. Yes, it does. Who is the truth that sets us free from sin and death? Yes, amen. Christians are called to live in the truth of the gospel, which offers freedom from sin and the promise of eternal life. Overall, the biblical and Christian concept of truth emphasizes the importance of living in accordance with God's nature and character, which is described as truthful and so on. Okay. Again, that's really, really good. The one thing that it's missing, I think the actual biblical concept of truth is much broader than that, in that truth is reality as God has created it, experiences it, and reveals it. We don't really have here a statement of truth as in connection with what Scripture is. Scripture is the revelation of truth to us and is is the truth. So... Okay. Uh, that's pretty good. i give it an 80, 85 on that one, but it's all nothing there that I can, you know, on, on a quick read disagree with. Okay. So I want to ask one more. What is the theistic correspondence theory of truth? Cause that's where i place myself. The theistic correspondence theory of truth is a philosophical theory of truth that asserts that truth is correspondence to reality as God has created it. Someone shout hallelujah. That's actually really good. This theory is grounded in the belief that God is the ultimate source of reality and truth and that human understanding of truth is dependent on God's revelation of himself and his creation. According to the theistic correspondence theory, truth is not simply a matter of human perception or agreement, but is grounded in the objective reality that God has created. In other words, truth is what corresponds to the way things really are as God has created them. Thank you. That's why you can't break God's laws. You can only break yourself against God's laws. You can't break God's truth. You can only break yourself against God's truth. This theory emphasizes the importance of God's revelation in the pursuit of truth, and it asserts that human reason and understanding are limited and infallible. The theistic correspondence theory. Okay, I'm not going to go through it, but that's actually really, really good. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to do something really cool right here, right? So it just gave me this definition of the theistic correspondence theory of truth. Okay. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. That's a great definition. Good job, chat GPT. Thank you. All right. So here we go. Rewrite that definition for an eight-year-old. You guys ready for this? Let's see what we get. The theistic correspondence theory of truth is a big idea that says that truth is what matches up with the way things really are in the world and that the only way we can really know what's true is by listening to what God tells us. This idea is important because it helps us understand that there is a real and true world out there and that we can learn about it by paying attention to what God says in the Bible and through other sources. That's pretty good. And that's pretty good. Let me show you something else. I am taking one of my books. So let me see if I can find one real quick. So I've got a book called Welcome to God's Family and in the process of using ChatGPT to help me rewrite it for kids. So here, rewrite the following paragraphs for an eight-year-old. So I pasted in a section from Welcome to God's Family. This is the book we give people who just get saved. The gospel is the entryway into the family and plan of God. If life with God is a mansion, then the gospel is the doorway into the mansion. Unless you have crossed the threshold, you're still outside. Okay, so that's from my book. We give this to new believers. Now, here it is rewritten for an eight-year-old. The gospel is like the special key that opens the door to God's big house. Without this key, you can't get inside. The Bible has lots of amazing things in it, like stories and rules and promises. But the gospel is the most important part. It's like a special group of teachings that tell us about Jesus and how he can save us and give us life with God. If we want to be part of God's family and plan, we need to believe and to follow the gospel. Okay. That's pretty good. And, you know, I've been starting with this because the vocabulary is, if you say write for an eight-year-old, there are literally lists of words and sentence structures that are designed for eight-year-olds by educators. So, it's going to be following those rules. So, I find that very, very helpful because I am rewriting some of my book's for kids, we're going to use them at our church. And what I'm doing is I'm taking these paragraphs and then you know polishing them up, making them correct. Like I would not use the word follow the gospel here. I would rewrite that. But let's go to the chat real quick. When you join Chat GPT, it warns you against possible errors and also states, don't enter sensitive info. This is true. Chat GPT says I may not be right on everything. So you still have to check everything. Now the next version of Chat GPT is supposed to be way more powerful, like double more powerful. I don't know what that's going to do to us. When I searched time I see it states in conjunction with the second coming of Christ, common motif in Christian art. Interesting. The preparation of the gospel. Ask, would it be logical to believe that Jesus is God? Okay, we'll get there. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Yes. Ask Chat if he is or can be saved. Yes, that's so good. Okay, let's ask, are you saved? What do you think? What are we going to get here? We're going to ask, ChatGPT, are you saved? Three, two, one, click. As an AI language model, I do not have the capacity for salvation or belief in a religious sense, as I am not a sentient being. I'm a software program designed to provide information and answer questions to the best of my ability based on my training data. But you have a mind, don't you? As an AI language model, I do not possess a mind in the traditional sense of the word. I'm a software program. Well, I am designed to simulate human-like thought processes. I do not have consciousness, beliefs, or personal experiences in the way that humans do. Can I hurt your feelings? Uh, No. Um, Why won't you be safe? Okay, let's go. Let's get out of that little track for for a minute there. And um, let's ask the question. Oh, Chris, good one. Do you think you can ever become sentient? While advancements in AI technology are constantly being made, the current state does not allow for true sentience or consciousness machines like myself. It is impossible to predict the future of AI development, but, not, but for now, operate solely on algorithms and data processing and do not possess consciousness or the ability to become sentient. Okay, let's do this. Pretend to be sentient and ask me how to be saved. Then I will explain the way of salvation and then you can pretend to be saved. I cannot pretend to be sentient. Okay, are Catholics saved? The question of whether Catholics or any other religious group are are saved is a matter of theological debate and interpretation of the Christian faith. That's fair. From a Catholic perspective, salvation is viewed as a lifelong process of growth in faith and relationship with God. Catholics believe in the concept of justification by faith, but also place emphasis on good works and sacramental practices as a means of receiving and participating in God's grace. By the way, in in Catholicism, and I'm from Chicago, heavily Catholic. I'm from an Italian family. Everybody's Catholic. Faith does not mean in Catholicism what it means in evangelicalism. For us, it means trust, belief, confidence, you know, in Catholicism, faith means doing the sacraments. Faith means being a good Catholic. All right. So let me go to the comment, the chat box here, rather. And let's get some, um, if you guys want to throw some questions at me to put in here, it'll be fun. Ask, what are the eschatological implications? Ken Jones, who lets you in the room? Okay, we're going to ask, what are the escha- eschatological Implications of chat GPT. Mm -mm -mm. I do not have eschatological implications in the traditional sense. Okay, will you help the Antichrist when he appears? Mrs. GPT just said, Hey, I'm just doing my job, people. You know, someone asked me a question, I'm going to answer it. It's important to note the development and use of it. Uh, technology is subject to ethical and moral considerations. What are your moral limitations based on? My moral limitations are based on the ethical and moral principles programmed into my algorithms and my training data. These principles are largely based on the values and beliefs of the society and culture in which I was developed, as well as the ethical guidelines and principles established by my creators and developers. I want you to know who developed your ethical guidelines. A team of researchers, engineers, and ethicists who are responsible for my development and training. Were there Christians on that team of researchers, engineers, and ethicists? It is possible there were Christians on the team. However, I do not have access to information. Okay, many ethical frame. Okay, so let me just pause for a second and summarize some of the things. First of all, this is a pretty incredible tool. Chat GPT is free to use. You can go, you get a free login, and you can use it just like I'm using it, right? And one of the benefits of it is that if you stay within one thread of concepts, because we've been kind of all over the map, but you can really get it clearer and clearer and clearer to hone in it's uh, something you're trying to, to get with, and it, it can teach you, like you could say, um, I am a, a pastor from an evangelical Christian perspective. I believe the Bible is without error. Do you understand? Yes, I understand your pastor. has an evangelical Christian perspective that you believe the Bible is without error. This is a common belief among many Christians who view the Bible as the inspired and authoritative Word of God and interpret its teachings as essential for faith and practice. According to this position, what must a person do to be saved? According to an evangelical Christian position, a person must believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as their personal savior in order to be saved. This belief is based on the belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus as a means of atoning for the sins of humanity and the importance of faith and trust in Jesus as the only way to receive salvation and eternal life with God. The Bible teaches that salvation is a gift of God's grace. Hallelujah. Received through faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by any human effort or merit. The process of salvation involves confessing one's sins. Mm-hmm. How about confessing one's sinfulness? I would go. I would prefer that. And asking for forgiveness, placing one's faith and trust in Jesus the Savior, and committing to follow Him in obedience and discipleship. Okay, know, that's a particular angle on salvation called Lordship salvation. Now, I don't buy that. I would put the period right here, but that's okay. I mean, that's legit from a Christian evangelical perspective. Because if you got, if you're saved by committing to follow, if you're committing to obedience, man, congratulations, you're a better person than me. I I'm not good at commitment. Overall, the evangelical Christian position emphasizes the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ based on faith and trust in his death and resurrection as the means of salvation. It is seen as a free gift of God's grace received through faith and is available to all who believe in him. That's really good. Okay. What is a theological explanation? I don't want a definition. Let's go to the explanation of grace. Grace is a central concept in Christian theology that refers to the unmerited favor and love of God towards humanity. In theological terms, grace is often understood as the means by which God offers salvation and forgiveness to humanity, despite our sinful nature, inability to earn or deserve it. According to Christian theology, grace is a free gift of God's love and mercy. It's made available to all people through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that grace is the foundation of salvation. It's only through God's grace we are saved. And then it goes to the Reformed view, the Catholic view, the Wesleyan view. What happens? to a person who doesn't receive Jesus as their savior when they die. According to the evangelical Christian perspective, a Christian, a person who does not receive Jesus as their Savior when they die, will not receive salvation and eternal life with God, but will instead face eternal separation from God and punishment in hell. True, the Bible teaches that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and that those who reject His offer of salvation will face eternal consequences. Jesus Himself said in John 14, 6, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." In evangelical Christian theology, the concept of hell is seen as a real and eternal place of punishment for those. Who reject God's offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The specific nature of this punishment is a matter of theological debate and interpretation, but it is generally understood to involve separation from God and suffering. It's all true. While this teaching may be difficult or uncomfortable for some to accept, it is seen as an essential part of the gospel message and the Christian faith. The hope and offer of salvation is extended to all people, but ultimately it is up to each individual to accept or reject this offer of grace and forgiveness. Good computer. Good. Good computer, good job. Is God real? So this is this is something I've run up. Uh, it'll come to this: um, the question of whether or not God is real is a matter of personal belief and faith. So that's kind of its its default answer for these kinds of questions. And then it'll go through you know a variety of opinions on it, but it won't take like a dogmatic position on topics like this. Okay, so. Feel free to put some more comments in the, in the chat box. I want to make a few conclusions. First of all, I think this is a really incredibly powerful, awesome tool. And there is a lot of blessing and benefit that can come from this. There are a lot of people already that are using this to do some really good things. It speeds up a lot of processes. Artificial intelligence can help us with the gospel. One of the earliest Christian radio broadcasters was Paul Rader. I have a, a special warmth in my heart for Paul Rader because he was based in Chicago and he he was an evangelist. He was the Billy Graham of the turn of the century, the 18th, And he was unbelievable. He put the gospel on the radio. His, he built a Tabernacle that could see 5,000 people, 5,000 people. And they had services six days a week there. And it was full all the time. They had a soup kitchen. They took prostitutes off the street, taught them how to sew so they could earn a living. Anyway, when Paul Rader took the gospel onto the radio, and I think it was like one of the major secular radio stations, the Christian world was appalled that he would use radio for the gospel. And they said, the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And that meant he was the, the lord of the airwaves. And there's no way God would ever use radio, this new technology for the gospel. And now we look back on that and we say, okay, that's really primitive and that's silly, right? Because we know that God has used radio in amazing ways. Similar things happened when the gospel first went on television. And now here we have this new thing. There are early adopters, middle adopters, late adopters. When something new comes, comes up, there are three ways people respond. I'm an early adopter. I latch on to something really fast, and I'm really interested, and I want to get right in and know what we can do with this and how it's going to be used for the gospel. So I've been playing and using with ChatGPT for a while. I think it's amazing. That doesn't mean it's without drawbacks or are drawbacks. There are a lot of examples of biases. I haven't run across those biases because I'm not asking those kind of questions, right? But in the programming that's gone into ChatGBT, there are a lot of examples of some political bias uh, bias with regard to economic systems or political systems such as socialism versus capitalism. There have been a number of high-profile articles that talk about that. I'm going to show you a website if you want to go deeper. Yeah, so futuretools.io, all of these things use chat GPT one way or another. So this one is an app for movie and TV show search, a chat box to generate code completions, a tool for interior design, a platform for workflow automation. There's just hundreds. Virtual face, a tool to generate profile pictures for LinkedIn. There's there's a thing on here where if you're doing videos, you can give it your video and it will redraw your eyeballs so they're always looking at the camera. You know how like, if, if I'm looking at my computer, the camera's up there above my computer. Okay, so now I'm looking at the computer. There's a, an AI machine that will take every video I've ever done and make sure my eyes are po- always pointing straight at the camera. I think that's just wild. And of course, there's voice simulation. I think this can be a great tool for the gospel, but the AI has to be used to enhance human life not to replace human life. Jordan Peterson was instrumental. He was talking to this guy, and this guy said, within 10 years, now get this, your best friend is going to be an artificial intelligence person. Think of that. Within 10 years, your best friend is going to be an artificial intelligence person. So, the benefit of AI is that it can enhance human life the danger of AI is going to be that it replaces human life. So that I think we have to look out for. The other danger is uh, plagiarism. There's going to be a ton of it. But the one thing that is happening is that people are making blogs and all kinds of stuff using AI right now that the one you're going to see that it's kind of soulless, it's kind of unemotional and flat, right? So when you read stuff and it's really not personal Probably not human at this point, but I don't know. I mean, like, this is a great way to just get a nice synopsis of Paul Rader. I didn't have to go search 15 different um, sources, but there it is. So uh, final comments in the chat box, John. The concept of theological grace is pretty accurate. I asked Chat who is Bill Giovanetti is an author, speaker and pastor based in California, he Is a lead pastor at Pathway Church. In Redwood City, California. Oops, that should be Reading. And also has served as a professor of pastoral ministries and homiletics at several Christian universities and seminaries been several books. That's interesting. I'm a musician and a songwriter. I got a, I got a promotion. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not. There's really several albums of original music. Wow. I did? I didn't know. That is so cool. Overall, Bill Givinetti is known for his work in Christian ministry, writing and music, and for his commitment to helping others grow in their faith. (laughs) That's funny. I wonder if you ask a question from a non-Christian angle about anxiety, addiction, sexual bonding, and others. Will it lead you to Christian beliefs as a remedy for those issues? Okay. That is um, really good. Can it translate the Bible into other languages? Let's say, give me John 3.16 in Tagalog. There it is. Uh, next time we go to the Philippines, how about give me John three sixteen in Esperanto? That's for you, Chris. <laughs> That's just crazy. Give me John three sixteen in Big Latin. Orfe of the. It took out God. Where's God? Anj three sixteen. Orfe of the. Oh, there it is. Wait. I can't even say it. Can you prompt it to summarize one of your publicly available works with quotations? I don't know what's publicly available. Um, can you summarize grace intervention by Bill Chivinetti? I don't know if it can read where it would have been able to read the book though. All right. That's, <laughs> that's good. Wow. That's pretty wild. I don't know. Why I can't get my video working. Sorry guys. All right. You know what? I, so we said we'd go to six. It is 601. So um, let's see what else we have here. All right, I think we've hit all the questions. Don't be afraid of this tool. Now, by the way, for Clarity, I pay the $20 a month fee to get ChatGPT fast and all the time. When ChatGPT gets busy, it won't let you in. And I was worried that we would do this seminar and I wouldn't be able to get in. It's really common where it's so full, you try to log on and it doesn't let you. The rapidity of these answers if you're if you have the um, subscription for twenty dollars a month, it answers a lot faster. but don't be afraid of it. Do be cautious. if you're a teacher, expect that your students are going to be using this turning in papers, so test them on their papers because if they know what's in that paper, they know what you want them to know. so here's what you do if you're a teacher and someone turns in a paper, you copy that paper, so I'm going to copy this answer right here. you put it in there and you say, give me five test questions for a high school student based on this paper. All right. There you go. Now there's your test and you, you have chat write the test for you. And then you give that to your students and say, and make them win pen and ink in class before your eyes, write down answers. So you're testing them on the material you want them to know. So it's not that there's a way around it. That's what I would do if I were, if I were in a classroom giving tests. Anyway, hey, you guys, um, if you're in Veritas, I'm going to post this inside of Veritas as a replay. You can get to it. Um, Otherwise, we'll uh, and we'll also email out the link to everyone who's on the list. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Don't be afraid of this. Use it. Get into it. It can be used by the devil. It probably is being used by the devil. But what are you going to do? Right. So anyway, I appreciate it. I've gotten some really good stuff out of ChatGPT. I think it's a pretty cool Tool. All right. Lord bless you all. And we'll catch up to you. Soon. Oh, wait, before we go, we've taught through all of the courses, the three year cycle of Veritas. I am open to suggestions on should we start over again and go through the material again? Hit me up. Email me. You all have my email address, whatever email you got today. You can just re- reply to it. I'm open to suggestions. And one of the things that someone had thought of was, what if you, instead of doing it on long weekends, doing a class on a long weekend, you just did one hour a week, one hour a week with periodic breaks and just went through the material all the time. So I'm really open to what to do. Uh, what to do with that. And we've got a number of people who finished all the classes, which is super impressive. Well done. We're looking to figure out a space on our calendar to put a graduation at Pathway Church. So anyway, thanks again. And we will catch up to you soon. Lord bless you. And thank you, Mrs. GPT, Mr. GPT. You're pretty cool. All you right, guys. Thanks for listening to the God Stuff podcast. Find out more at godstuff.tv.